This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Lost the ability to hear me. I am required by law, it's an authority delegated to me explicitly by the Maine legislature to hold what's called a Section 336 challenge hearing. Both parties come, they present their evidence, they file briefs. I review only that evidence in the context of the laws, the facts presented, and the Constitution, and then I must make a determination. I'm duty-bound. I came to the conclusion that I could not, unfortunately or fortunately, wait for the United States Supreme Court to make a decision. Uh, The main law required me to issue that decision, which I did today. That is uh, is Sheena Bellows, as she is the Maine Secretary of State, explaining her decision to remove Donald Trump from Maine's ballot. We're going to get into that coming up a little bit later here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. And I'll be filling in for Brian for today here in Orlando, Florida, out of uh, Brian's flagship station here in Orlando. That's WDBO, where I host the Joe Kelly Show weekday afternoons from 5 till 7 p.m. Uh, and it is I, I will tell you that it is it's 51 degrees right now in Orlando. And I can tell you officially that is freezing. It is freezing right now in Orlando. I'll pause to let you laugh at us Floridians. Uh, that cannot tolerate 51-degree temperatures. It is so cold outside right now. This is when we get all the ski parkas out and bundle up as much as we can. You'll even see people wearing socks with their flip-flops this time of year because it's so chilly outside, uh, and it's not going to get a whole lot warmer today. All right, something else that is special and unique to Orlando, Florida, here in the Florida Freedom Zone, is uh, our our role in space exploration, just 50 miles Due east of where I'm sitting right now, just I'm just north of downtown Orlando, 50 miles due east of here is the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station. Uh, joining me live now to talk about space exploration in the year behind and the year ahead of us is Rob uh, Robert Long. He is the president and chief executive officer of Space Florida. Rob, I'm so glad you're joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome. Thanks, Joe. It's uh, great to be here today. And and let's talk about just even as recently as last night. Last night, we had two incredibly successful launches uh, that were virtually back-to-back. Yeah, absolutely. Last night was just a, a real indicative moment of, of the pace of – uh, launches over the last year and then what we see into the future. So I think, you know, when you when you launch uh, two times in less than three hours, that really speaks to the capability that we have here on the Space Coast. 
And there were diverse uh, launch efforts. They were, they, they were not launching for the same reason. Both of them were SpaceX launches. Uh, but one was for the United mm-hmm. States military, a top-secret launch. And the other was more of the Starlink Internet satellites. Yes, that's correct. And uh, like I said, that's exactly why we're so excited about uh, the year ahead uh, here on the Space Coast and really in the industry at large just because of the the amount of uh, uh, progress that we're seeing and, and, and the acceleration um, in our tempo for our launches. And, Rob, for, for our listeners who aren't here in central Florida, I should remind everybody that when the United States retired the space shuttle program back in 2011 – uh, that was a depressing time for the Space Coast. That was a time in which a lot of people packed up and left and uh, a lot of businesses that, that weren't even directly tied to space travel had, had shuttered and, you know, some restaurants and some others. And and people thought, well, that's it for the U.S. space race. That's it for U.S. space exploration. But now all these years later, uh, it seems that privatizing space flight really is making us so much more robust as a nation when it comes to space exploration. Yeah, you're exactly correct. I think the the decisions made in that that same time frame when the space shuttle was uh, sunsetting uh, and the focus on encouraging private industry and commercialization, uh, I think were were incredibly important uh, to putting us to where we are today as world leaders, uh, both uh, nationally and, of course, uh, here in Florida. And I think you'll see that coming even uh, even faster down the pipe uh, in the coming year and in the coming five to ten years. I think we're just going to continue to to see more and more investment um, in the commercial space industry. Now, out, out there at the Cape Canaveral Space Force Station and the Kennedy Space Center, I mean, you've got new buildings that are going up regularly out there with new n- new companies, not just SpaceX, not just United Launch Alliance. Uh, But you've got a number of other uh, newcomers into the industry that are building and preparing for launches as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Blue Origin would be one that I I like to point to. They've invested heavily um, in their manufacturing facility uh, on Merritt Island uh, right outside the Space Center. And there are others like Airbus OneWeb and, and, and many others that are interested in, you know, our role in Space Space Florida is to help those companies come to Florida to grow in Florida uh, as a partnership. And uh, I think when you, you see that, um, the amount of interest that we are seeing from the commercial uh, space industry here, not only in the Space Coast, but really across the state, um, I think it does it does speak to your point exactly that the diversity of interest is is really astonishing. Now, we don't really have a space race with other nations like we did back during the Cold War, even though, you know, we are, in a sense, in competition with with some of them. But we kind of have our own space race here inside the United States because we have launches out in Vandenberg in California. We've got launches out at the Spaceport, Texas. I mean, whenever you see a launch that takes place Somewhere other than Cape Canaveral Space Force Station or the Kennedy Space Center, do, do you get agitated? You're like, oh, we should have had that launch, man. No, 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 not not at all. Because really, you know, from a national perspective, right, we want to have a robust uh, spaceport network. But and, and oftentimes, many of the launches uh, may need a specific location to launch from. So we're largely complementary. Um, there's, there's no doubt that, that Florida is uh, the nation's leader in terms of numbers of launches. Um, but when I put my uh, USA hat on, 
you know, it's great to see us, uh, the United States, being really the global leader in terms of launching in space in general. And as we see that massive SpaceX rocket out in Spaceport, Texas, in Boca Chica, Texas, uh, that, that they're still in a, in a very testing phase for that particular rocket. And the last thing we want is a giant rocket of that size blowing up uh, anywhere near Cape Canaveral. Well, the good news about the way we do uh, launch is we're all – safety is the number one job, and uh, our spaceports, especially at Cape Canaveral, are designed to support uh, those types of tests so that if it was uh, – something like that was to happen, it would be completely controlled and in a controlled manner. Um, and so that doesn't bother me so much because the teams that are out there doing that work are experts at what they do, um, just like they are at Boca Chica, and uh, so that uh, – It really helps us be innovative and go faster in the long run. We're talking to Robert Long. He's the president and chief executive officer of Space Florida. He's the he's the head honcho that uh, that keeps in mind uh, all of Florida's space interests, though it does look like the the space command is not going to be coming to Florida. The uh, the U.S. Space Force command is not going to be here in Florida. Uh, well, we are going to see uh, the preliminary decision for the U.S. Space Force's Space Training and Readiness Command uh, was uh, designated as a preferred location of Patrick Space Force Base. Um, so we will work with them when they go through their process um, to locate that headquarters here in Florida. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Patrick Air Force Base is uh, just adjacent to Cape Canaveral. Yes, that's correct. Um, all under the Space Launch Delta 45 team. And a lot of I'm sure people outside of Central Florida don't realize all that has to go into coordinating these launches, uh, because in addition to having rocket launches here at Cape Canaveral, we also have Port Canaveral, which has a lot of ships coming and going, including cruise ships. And whenever there's a launch, you've got to make sure that downrange there aren't cruise ships in the way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, safety, as I mentioned earlier, is really a key factor in, in launching in general. But I think also having the port here speaks to the larger uh, point about space as a mode of transportation and the state's designation as, a, as space being a mode of transportation. And really, you know, when you look at it holistically, um, Cape Canaveral in the area, including the port, becomes what we are terming a quintamodal port. So we have a fifth mode of transportation in space that is complemented by the port and the maritime recovery that happens um, and is enabled by the port itself. And I'll tell you, as as a tourist, uh, whether you're a local or you're coming in from out of state or out of the country, uh, it is not uncommon uh, after launches to see a barge pulling in that's carrying one of the booster rockets that had landed, you know, the day before or two days before. Uh, though we did have a bit of a mishap with one of those uh, booster rockets just a couple of days ago. Yes, it just speaks to the the challenges in in, in launching and the entire process. But um, the great news about all of that is. Um, the tempo won't stop, and uh, companies like SpaceX and others will continue to launch, and they'll keep moving forward. SpaceX was able to successfully land the booster on the barge, but as the barge was transiting back to to Port Canaveral, heavy seas and heavy winds tipped the booster over, thus destroying it. It was one of the most used boosters in their inventory, and uh, and they they're going to see if they can salvage the engines from it and learn from that. But uh, they, they, from every failure, there's a learning opportunity. That's exactly right. I think, and that's what we SpaceX and, and others have demonstrated that 
you know, the, the innovation is hard, but at the same time, the ability to reuse those boosters has been a game changer uh, for the country uh, at large and, and our position as a global leader. And so uh, I know they'll, uh, they'll take good lessons from that and they'll continue to keep pace. Rob, look ahead uh, to, to the year 2024. What are some of the big things, the, the big launches, the big missions that we have on the horizon in the year ahead? Yeah, I think 2024 is going to be pretty exciting. Um, you know, we, we have a bunch of new launches that, that should be uh, are on the schedule now, and, and hopefully they'll, they'll make their schedule. Uh, United Launch Alliance is planning to launch their Vulcan. Blue Origin is planning their new Glenn launch for this year. Uh, we're likely to see another Artemis launch, uh, this time uh, out to the moon. Uh, Boeing's commercial crew would be another one that's, that's which definitely look forward to. And then, of course, uh, just maintaining, you know, the pace where we might hit close to 100 launches uh, off the Space Coast this year. And for for those who who have an interest in space tourism, they want to come here and, and learn more about the space industry. I got to tell you, you know, we here in the Orlando area are, are most known for our Disney and Universal theme parks. But the Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex is really uh, an amazing museum, if you will, very interactive museum of the United States' role in space exploration. It absolutely is. As a, as a bona fide space geek myself, um, I, I enjoy going over there and just partaking in that history and just seeing the progress um, from, from the early days of, of what was happening at Kennedy Space Center to you know, being able to spe- see Space Shuttle Atlantis on display and, and, and everything that's going on in the future. And, of course, maybe if you're lucky, getting to see a launch. Yeah, yeah, right. You can uh, for some of the launches, not for all of them, but for some of the launches, you can buy seats uh, in some of the closer up seating areas uh, to be able to see them. Uh, and again, it's not every launch, but but for a lot of the launches, you can get you can get those tickets. And then for the rest of us, again, you know, last night, especially the sky was so clear last night that uh, most of us in the Orlando area just standing in our backyards looking east can see the launch. In fact, I have a friend that was in Tampa last night. Tampa is 128 miles uh, to the west of Cape Canaveral, and they saw the launch from Tampa last night. And it is just not an uncommon experience for those of us living here in Central Florida to look up and see suddenly a bright light in the sky, and we think to ourselves, "Oh, is there? There must be a launch today. There's a launch, right?" Because the tempo is is so quick these days that sometimes it's hard to keep track of how often there are launches. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I saw a headline uh, about a month ago that was noting that there was 11-day drought in launches. And, you know, I've been doing this for 20-plus years. And if you had told me that we were worried about uh, no launches for 11 days, I'd say we were in a pretty good place. But you're right. I hear um, I've seen dozens and dozens of launches uh, throughout my career, and it doesn't ever get old. And I also also think it's important to bring in families and, and especially the, the young generation and kids and really get them interested. It's a great way to show that off and, and get them um, interested in space and the aerospace industry in, in general. Absolutely. So, Robert, I, I sure appreciate you talking to us and sharing that great information with us. And, and again, uh, if anybody has questions, where, where would you direct them? What website would you go to? Um, you can go to any number, but I, you definitely go to spaceflorida.gov. We can uh, direct them. Uh, the Kennedy Space Center has an awesome website, as as does the U.S. Space Force. Um, lots of great resources out there. Yeah, a lot of great stuff happening on the Space Coast to just 50 miles east of Orlando. Robert Long is the president and chief executive officer of Space Florida. It's going to be a busy and exciting year, Robert. Congratulations to you and your team. 
Thanks, Joe. Have a great new year. You too. We'll continue here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly here in the Florida Freedom Zone in Orlando at 866-408-7669. You can check out more about Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com. We'll continue straight ahead. Hey, 2023 has been a busy year, and the discussions won't stop in 2024 from the presidential election, world conflicts, and what's happening in D.C. We'll cover it all with a little fun along the way on The Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Well, hey, by the way, if you ever get a chance to see Brian in person, if he is going to be somewhere near you, near your city, uh, with copies of his book, Teddy and Booker T, I highly encourage you uh, to go and get a chance to to meet with Brian, and especially if he's putting on, you know, one of his bigger shows. Uh, I have I have been involved with Brian's shows when he comes to Orlando and when he's done book signings in Orlando, and I will tell you that nobody ever walks away disappointed. Everybody uh, gets a chance to to meet Brian. Everybody gets a chance to take a picture with Brian. Everybody gets a chance to get their book signed by Brian, and Brian is as nice a guy in person. As the guy you hear on the radio that you see on TV, uh, I am under no obligation to say this, by the way. No one has even said, Joe, you know, you should say no, uh, no obligation at all. I just want to offer that that when he every time I hear him talking about events he has coming up, I think to myself, man, if people know what's good for them, they'll go uh, because it really is a, a great opportunity to put a, a, a real life human to, you know, to connect someone that you listen to every day, someone that you watch every day, and to make an actual connection with him and to let him make a connection with you. Uh, honestly, I don't know who gets more excited during those events, Brian or listeners such as yourselves who go to meet him. Uh, Brian thrives in that environment, and, and I know he loves meeting uh, listeners. And and I'm telling you, I, I've been there and watched as uh, listener after listener, uh, viewer after viewer has come by and – Every one of them walks away just absolutely thrilled after having had a chance to, to meet and chat with, with Brian Kilmeade. So take advantage of it. If he's coming to your community, make sure you get tickets. Uh, make sure you get the book. Make sure you show up at the, at the bookstores or wherever he is going to be so that you can get a chance to, to meet Brian. I promise you it's going to be well worth it. By the way, Orlando, where I am right now, is the number one U.S. travel destination for New Year's. Uh, I'm sure in part because of the theme parks, the gorgeous weather, except for today where it's sunny and 54 degrees. Uh, but also we got a bowl game. Uh, we just had a bowl game last night, and we've got a bowl game coming up on Monday. It's going to be Iowa versus Tennessee in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. My daughter goes to Tennessee, so I'll be very much interested in watching that game. We'll continue the Brian Kilmeade Show coming up in a moment as we get into the year in movies next. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, I'm Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe's, where you find me on social media at Talk Radio Joe. 
filling in for Brian Kilmeade today here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. BK is going to be back uh, Tuesday of next week. Monday is is New Year's Day. He'll be back on the radio on Tuesday. This week is uh, famous for your favorite radio hosts all taking the time off this week, and which is why I'm here today. And I'm happy to be here, and I'm glad to have uh, joining me Kevin McCarthy. Now, not that Kevin McCarthy, the better Kevin McCarthy, the Kevin McCarthy I'm excited about, and that is our, our entertainment reporter and movie critic. You'll find him at Kevin McCarthy TV. And Kevin, welcome. We're glad to have you back on the Brian Kilmeade Show with me, Joe Kelly. Hey, Joe, it's awesome to be on, and uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, been a, it's, been a, it's been a heck of a year for movies, so I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. And, you know, I, I was intrigued as we get into Christmas. Typically on Christmas, you can expect some really good movies out uh, for Christmas. And I looked at the list of movies out for Christmas and thought, nope, 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 not that one, not that one, not that one. Uh, it's it's it has been real hit or miss this year. And I'm sure part of that still due to the to the strikes uh, for the writers and the actors. And part of that is still maybe some lingering pandemic issues. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of the films that came out this year, I mean, I think the from the strike perspective, I mean, a lot, a, a lot of the like the actual releases of the movies that are coming out in 2023. I don't know if the strike actually affected too much of that. I mean, I know there was. The Dune 2 delay was an interesting one because people wondered if that was because of the strike. But with the strike, I think we're actually going to see more of an effect of the of the content uh, in 2024, maybe early in the year where, you know, productions, as you mentioned, with the strike went on, you know, went on hold. So a lot of films that were possibly going to come out in 2024 at a certain date have, you know, some of them have been delayed to later in 2024. So I think it's weird. I, like we were done with the strike, but I do believe we're going to feel the content of the strike probably somewhere in early 2024 when, when maybe there's a lull period of not a ton of content coming out. Um, luckily, so much was already in the can prior to the strike happening that things could still come out. I mean, we've had movies coming out, you know, all over the year, even during the strike films that were done, we just couldn't have the actors uh, promoting them. Um, And the pandemic part of it that you're talking about, that's probably more of a factor, like with the mission impossible film that came out this year and a couple of films that, you know, had to stop production with the pandemic or their, or the pandemic actually, you know, changed the production or in terms of like, you know, not being able to film in certain areas or have, certain actors involved. So I think both are factors, but I think this year was probably more of a pandemic feeling in terms of the, the content. And then next year, I think we'll feel a little bit of the content lacking from the from the strike. And I don't want to spend too much time on, on this, but you mentioned Dune 2. I am embarrassed to say that I just uh, a few weeks ago discovered the first Dune, and yeah. I, I am obsessed with that movie. It is one of the best movies I have ever seen. Yeah, Denis Villeneuve is one of those filmmakers who just hasn't missed. I mean, he's a, he's a, a, um, one of our one of our great filmmakers of our time. Um, Prisoners and Sicario and uh, Arrival and uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and then obviously Dune Part One, and then Dune Part Two will be coming out uh, this you know coming twenty twenty four. Uh, there is another Dune film from the 80s by David Lynch, which is not as critically no. uh, uh, received as no. Denise's film. But, um, but yeah, no, I thought Timothy Chalamet did a, an amazing job with, uh, with the first part of the Dune story. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next. I want to go over your top ten list for the year, starting at number ten, The Creator. When I first saw the headline and saw that movie, I thought, oh, as a Christian, I can't wait to see The Creator. Then I realized it's not a Christian movie. 
and 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 then once I got over that, I I, I watched it and I loved it. Yeah, it's a really powerful film, and for people out there listening right now who don't know what this film is, it's essentially a post-apocalyptic uh, after, uh, you know, essentially, I, I compare it to Terminator 2 a little bit. So Terminator yeah. 2, for you know, one of my favorite movies, it's probably my favorite movie of all time, the movie that changed my whole life. Uh, I saw it when I was eight years old. Um, but there's an aspect of that movie with Judgment Day, right, where, you know, where the nuclear bombs go off and then essentially we're living in, a, in an apocalyptic era with machines. Um, so I always kind of thought of this movie as a spiritual sequel to T2 in a weird way where we're now in the post-apocalyptic aspect of it. The bombs have gone off and now we're dealing with machines and humans. Uh, but in this particular situation, it's AI, right? So it's, it's, it's very – um, you know, it's this, the, the timeliness of it is wild because of the strike. Obviously the movie came out during the strike and the movie is about AI and the strike had a lot to do with AI. Um, and so the film was very, uh, prescient and very interesting in that way. But John David Washington does a great job yeah. and oh, basically yeah. it's humans, humans versus AI. And he, he encounters a young child who's, uh, apparently the most dangerous aspect of the AI in the world and has to somehow protect or and or bring this AI in, uh, and he, obviously he gains a connection emotionally to the AI, and and, and doesn't necessarily want to destroy it like everybody else does. So it's a really fascinating story, and I thought Hans Zimmer's music was great, and they made it on a they shot the movie on like a consumer camera. Um, this is not a camera that's normally used for movie making. It's uh, this is a camera that like that people can just generally buy and use freely. It's expensive, but not like a movie movie camera. Um, and so it was very unique in how they did the visual effects and the way they shot this movie. It's really remarkable, and it looks like it looks like it's three times the budget of how they made it. It looks unbelievable. I loved it. Number nine on your list, and I think this will be controversial for some, but, but is the Indiana Jones and the, what is it, the Dial of Destiny? Yeah, I mean, for me, this was the uh, culmination of the emotions that I felt watching Raiders as a kid. Like, you know, came, uh, you know the, the original three trilogy, the Spielberg classics, the, you know, the Raiders and Temple of Doom um, and, and Last Crusade, those are the films that, you know, that's like one of the greatest trilogies of all time next to like Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, things like that. Um, but the fourth indie was not great, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That was terrible. This, yeah, and weirdly, it's Spielberg, and that was kind of a weird miss for him. Um, and then James Mangold took over for the fifth one, who did Ford v. Ferrari and 310 to Yuma and uh, Logan. And so basically... Yeah, this movie kind of gave me what I wanted um, from an Indiana Jones finale, which was uh, not to spoil anything. I'll keep it vague, but the idea of Indy kind of coming face to face with the actual history that he's been studying for all of his career uh, and the emotions in Harrison Ford's face and eyes uh, in that third act is pretty spectacular. I've been Um, deliberately avoiding that movie. And and based upon your recommendation, now I'm going to force myself to see it. It's good. I mean, my only big problem with the film really is some of the de-aging stuff. Like when, when he talks, when he's de-aged, it doesn't look great. But when he's just standing there or moving around, it looks fantastic. I just think they needed to – it's not quite there yet. So to have a scene focused a lot on de-aging, it does take you out a little bit. Um, but overall, I was incredibly impressed with that film now, and John Williams' score. Another movie I've been avoiding is number eight on your list, and that is <laughs> uh, Barbie. Yeah. Yeah, Barbie is Greta Gerwig. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, for a film to make one point four billion, whatever the uh, the number was, I think it's the, the highest grossing film of the year, I believe, still uh, past yes. to Super Mario. Um, 
for a film like that to come out and for the opening scene to be an entire homage to 2001 Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick. Is that like, right? That, that, I mean, that is incredible to me. And the, the idea of, of mass audiences just sitting in a theater watching a Barbie film and a lot of younger kids might not even necessarily know that they're watching an homage to Stanley Kubrick's 2001. There's there's Doctor Strange love references in this film. There's Shining references in this uh, film. And this is this is all made right, by. Fine, I'll see it. I mean, it's made by a film a film fan. So what I like about Barbie is the subversion of it, like the concept of like this idea of you, what you think a Barbie film is, and then what Greta ends up making. And it's, it's, it's really incredible filmmaking um, on, 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 on a production level and, and scale. It's fantastic. Um, but overall, yeah, if you're, if you're a film fan, the opening four minutes or whatever is, is literally the opening of 2001, just with Barbies. Mm. Um, it's very cool how they did it. So right. um, I we loved got, it. We yeah. got to pick up the pace here a little bit. We're talking to Kevin McCarthy, entertainment reporter, movie critic. Number seven on your list, Poor Things. I've not heard of that one. Yeah, Yorgos Lanthimos. This is the guy who directed The Favorite. Um, this is Emma Stone, uh, Willem Dafoe, and Mark Ruffalo. It's excellent. Basically, imagine a Frankenstein-type story. Um, I won't go into too many spoilers, but it's definitely not for kids. This is a very extremely R-rated, very, very wild movie. Um, it's not on Saltburn's level, but it's definitely a very uh, uh, shocking uh, and very wild film. But it has a beautiful curiosity and wonderment to it. Um, that's my number seven. I highly recommend it. And uh, Willem Dafoe is just outstanding. So is Emma Stone. Six is Killers of the Flower Moon, which just seems really depressing to me. Yeah, I mean, this is Scorsese. I mean, this is uh, it's uh, it's an important film, um, and I say important because there's a lot of elements of history that that I feel weren't highlighted a lot throughout. Um, just in general, I don't think people talk about a certain certain aspects of history enough. And this was a story that I was not super familiar with. I was aware of the Osage, but I was not aware of the extremities and what exactly happened. Um, and this is told through the perspective of DiCaprio's character, who essentially goes to work for his uncle, Robert De Niro's character, and falls in love with Lily Gladstone's character. And um, essentially, you know, oil is found and money becomes a factor. People start dying. Um, the FBI, uh, early, early, early FBI investigated this particular story as well. Um, and Jesse Plemons is fantastic. And it, I, I was it's a really remarkable film. And Scorsese did an amazing job telling the story. I also understand everybody's perspectives. People wanted to see it told through certain different perspectives or different character perspectives. Um, and I understand all of the, uh, all of the comments surrounding the film. I just found it to be a powerful story that I was not aware of. It's a tragic story. And I just was, I'm hoping that movies like this will give these aspects of history more highlights so we can talk about them more and learn from the aspects of history that we need to. And I think cinema has a powerful way of rebringing that back and, and putting that in front of mass audiences and having us all discuss it. So, you know, props to Scorsese for telling the story, you know. Number five, The Killer. Yeah, David Fincher. Um, one of the most underrated films of the year. This is on Netflix. This is a uh, David Fincher directed films like The Game, Seven, Fight Club, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. This is one with, with Michael Fassbender. Yeah, and Social Network and Zodiac. And yeah, and so this is 
this is Fassbender. He plays a, a hitman who basically misses one of his shots, and then the the person that the client gets upset about the miss takes out or takes out that anger on somebody in Fassbender's personal life in the story, and then so he goes on. I mean, you've seen this story before, um, but you haven't seen it done this way. It was a, uh, it Fincher was a good is a movie. Very, yeah, and if you're a Nine Inch Nails fan, there's the composer yeah. of this movie is Trent Reznor. Um, so Reznor's uh, been composing with Fincher for a while now, but he's fantastic. Him and Atticus Ross. The score was great. Yeah, I enjoyed that film very much. Uh, number four, Maestro. This is not for everyone. I uh, know. I mean, this is a phenomenal film. Uh, this is oh, I love this movie so much. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Leonard Bernstein. Um, obviously, the, he he's been working on this project for six years. It took him six years just to learn how to conduct six minutes of music for real. Um, this is uh, centered around him and Felicia, uh, his wife, uh, who's remarkable, who's an actress. Uh, Carrie Mulligan plays her in the film. And it's really kind of about their life, but also how she, in my opinion, is really the maestro behind the work. Um, he clearly was the genius in terms of the music, but there was something about the way she pushed him um, that I think uh, allowed him to be the greatest that he was. And the whole music, whole movie is scored by Leonard Bernstein. Obviously he's passed, but his real music is the centerpiece of the movie. Uh, and Cooper is remarkable. It's unrec- He's unrecognizable. It's a, a, a brilliant performance. I mean, he's a great director. Star is born, and then now this. He's just, he's amazing. Number three, The Holdovers. Oh, yeah, I love this movie so much. Alexander Payne, who did Sideways. Uh, this is Paul Giamatti introducing a new actor named Dominic Sessa, who plays a young kid in the film. Dave Vine, Joy Randolph is amazing. Story basically deals with a group of students who are held over during the holidays at a, at this school, and Giamatti is the teacher who has to take care of them. Uh, and it's just a remarkable story about almost like this odd couple relationship, um, friendship, really, between uh, this teacher and student and kind of how they change each other's lives in a way. Uh, it's a slice-of-life film. I, I, I loved it so much, and I think Alexander Payne is just one of those storytellers who's really great, the Descendants and uh, films like Sideways. He really is a great storyteller, so that that's definitely my number three. That movie... Uh, really had a profound impact on me personally. I, I, there was a book in that film that is, that, that is talked about a lot, which I know everybody knows already, called Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And I ended up picking that book up because of the film, and I read it, and it's been pretty life-changing. So um, I love that movies have that ability. Kevin, we have less than two minutes and two movies to go. Past Lives is number two for you. All right, Past Lives is a remarkable. Celine Song is the director, first-time feature filmmaker. It's about a love story about two childhood friends who meet up years later and try to figure out their lives because she's moved on. She's moved to America and she's married somebody, but this childhood friend wants to be in her life. And it's this beautiful story about longing and the idea of people passing by our lives and and the love we share with people. I loved it. That's my number two. And then my number one, I, 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 I know we only have a minute, minute and a half left. Um, I saw Oppenheimer 12 times. Wow. Um, uh, it's, I think arguably one of the greatest films I've ever seen or has ever been made. Um, I think it's a film, and I read the book, American Prometheus, which won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, an incredible story by J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, one of the cool things about this movie is they, 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 all the color scenes in the film are shot, and those are the Oppenheimer perspective. All the black and white scenes in the film are the Strauss perspective, which is Robert Downey Jr.'s character. So if you read the script for the film, 
Christopher Nolan wrote all the color scenes in first person and all the black and white scenes in third person. So when you watch the film, you're jumping back and forth in different timelines, but you know whose perspective you're in. And a lot of people complained about the fact that Nolan didn't show the actual bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yeah. but they show, the, they show the Trinity test. It makes perfect sense why he didn't show those bombings, because – in the movie, you're always in Oppenheimer's perspective or Robert Downey Jr. Strauss's perspective. Neither of them were in Japan when those bombs dropped. Kevin, so I, I got to stop no you there. no reason to cut out. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So listen, I, I love our annual discussions. I could talk movies all day. I know you could as well. Uh, thank you so much for sharing with us your top 10 list again this year. Thanks for having me. See Oppenheimer if you haven't seen it. Ludwig score. It's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. And Killian Murphy deserves to win the Oscar for Best Actor. He's remarkable. He is indeed. Kevin McCarthy. You'll find yeah. him at Kevin McCarthy TV. I'm Joe Kelly. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Republican debates to Joe Biden's missteps to the Hamas-Israel conflict, Ukraine funding and the war that may not end in 2023, what a year it's been. Now, the discussion will not end in 2024, so keep it here. The very latest on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, so I just got a text message from my wife, and she says... She says, so you won't watch Barbie when your wife recommends it, but you'll watch it because your movie friend says it's good. Okay, I see where I rate. So she says, we'll have to go see Barbie this weekend while it's still in theaters. So I think, I think I'm going to be on the hook for seeing Barbie this weekend. And okay, it's still begrudgingly that I'm going to go see Barbie this weekend, but I, I will go see Barbie this weekend. And evidently it is, it is still in theaters. It might as well be because there's nothing else good that is in theaters right now anyway. My name is Joe Kelly here at WDBO in Orlando. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want to find out information about Brian's upcoming stops on his uh, book tour uh, as he gets out and promotes Teddy and Booker T, just go to briankilmeadeshow.com. That's briankilmeadeshow.com. I'm Joe Kelly, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. And I hope everybody had a nice Christmas. Mine was awesome. Got to spend it with my kids and my family, and it was truly wonderful. And uh, got to spend my Christmas Eve volunteering at church, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. There is nothing like being surrounded by your church family at Christmas time. To really appreciate uh, what Christmas is and, and why we celebrate Christmas. And uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend ahead plan for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And uh, Brian Kilmeade will be back with you on Tuesday of next week uh, as as he gets started with the new year. He's uh, at the, the current moment and just enjoying some time off. My name is Joe Kelly. You'll find me online at Talk Radio Joe. I am down way down here at the in the Florida Freedom Zone in Orlando, Florida, at WDBO Radio, where I host the Joe Kelly Show weekday afternoons from 5 till 7 p.m. You can stream that or check it out. Uh, anytime you wish, just go to WDBO.com. Joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show, man, it's such an honor, and I'm so excited to have Jonathan Turley, constitutional law professor, George Washington University, and, of course, a Fox News contributor. Jonathan Turley, welcome. How are you, sir? 
Thank you. Glad to be with you. Um, we we have news, if you will, today as we're waking up and finding out that Maine's Democrat Secretary of State has removed former President Trump from the state's presidential primary ballot under what she says is the Constitution's insurrection clause. Uh, I'm sure you've had plenty of time to dig through this. What's your take? Well, it's really not a decision as she describes it. Now, this is, after all, just a secretary of state. In states like Colorado, we've seen various Democratic secretaries of state seek to remove Trump from the ballot. It's rather unnerving uh, to see people joining this effort. You know, Bellows really cloaks herself as a defender of democracy while trying to prevent people from actually exercising democracy. And the decision that she issued reflects that. It's a series of conclusory statements that ignores countervailing cases and facts, but it's not a surprise. You know, Bellows said after uh, the January 6th riot that it was an insurrection and has said publicly and continually since then uh, that Trump was responsible uh, for an actual insurrection or rebellion. So the the outcome here is not surprising. That's why these challengers went to Bellows, because they knew that she would give them exactly what they wanted. And as a constitutional law professor, help us understand the the insurrection clause that she cites. Well, the problem uh, with this novel and dangerous theory is that it contradicts both the history and language of the 14th Amendment. They're relying on Section 3 of that amendment, which was drafted after the Civil War, when various uh, House members were rather displeased to see the former vice president of the Confederacy standing in line to take the very same oath that he had just violated before the Civil War. They put through this uh, Section 3 that said that if you engage in insurrection or rebellion, um, you can be barred uh, from federal office. But there's a, there's a number of conditions there which make this, in my view, uh, really um, unwieldy and certainly unfounded in this case. First, former Chief Justice Chase said that Congress had to take action, that this wasn't self-enforcing. Second, it's not clear that the president is one of those federal officials subject to uh, this clause. Uh, The president appoints federal officials. This term of art of officials of the United States generally refers to executive branch uh, officials that the president appoints. The president also takes a different oath than the one referenced in the amendment. But even if you put that aside, the problem is that this was designed for an insurrection or rebellion. January 6th was a a lot of things, none of them good. But it was not an insurrection or rebellion. And most polls show the public understands that. Polls show the public view it as a protest that became a riot. And that's what it was. Many of us were covering it that day. We watched it in real time. There was inadequate security. They broke through the line, and then people ran amok. But that doesn't make it a rebellion like the Civil War, which cost hundreds of thousands of lives. I mean, 
in, in that rebellion, the Confederacy had its own foreign policy, its own currency, its own army. It, it just a point of comparison is is daunting. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, I want them to hear uh, Sheena Bellows as she explains. She is the main secretary of state as she attempts to explain why she has removed Trump from Maine's ballot. Here's cut one. I am required by law. It's an authority delegated to me explicitly by the Maine legislature to hold what's called a Section 336 challenge hearing. Both parties come. They present their evidence. They file briefs. I review only that evidence in the context of the laws, the facts presented, and the Constitution, and then I must make a determination. I'm duty-bound. I came to the conclusion that I could not, unfortunately or fortunately, wait for the United States Supreme Court to make a decision. Uh, The main law required me to issue that decision, which I did today. So there you go, Jonathan Turley. She was required to make this decision. Well, she was required to make a decision, not this decision. So there's no question that she has to respond to challenges. But until her decision, Colorado was an outlier among the states. Uh, All of these other states had Democratic judges uh, who refused to do this, even Colorado had seven democratically appointed justices. Three of the seven refused to sign the opinion. Uh, There was a vehement dissent that this was outrageous. So they eked out a 4-3 win in Colorado, but that was the first high court to do it. So Bellis has joined a rather ignoble but short list of Democratic officials uh, to endorse this this novel theory. But now it goes to a real court to review. And her decision is appallingly bad. It is, it, there's very little analysis. It's just a series of conclusory statements. And to say that she wrestled with this decision is laughable. I mean, she's been on social media condemning the, quote, insurrection and Donald Trump. Uh, you know, there, the, none of us had any doubt how she would rule in this case. That's why the challengers went to Bellows, because they knew that they had her at hello. Hmm. And this, even as as you're I'm certainly well aware, California's secretary of state has left Trump on the ballot after he was all called on to remove him from the ballot. That's right. And you had the lieutenant governor like Bellows trying to uh, remove Trump from that ballot. Um, to the credit of some Democrats, uh, including some politicians, they've condemned this. They recognize it as an anti-democratic theory. Even the member, the Democratic member of Congress in Maine denounced Bellows for what she did. And so I think it's important that we recognize that even though we disagree with each other, there still is a core within our country that recognize the values that define us. What you see in Bellows is a crisis of faith, someone who has allowed her affinity for her party to overwhelm her affinity to the Constitution. And that yielding to temptation has always been a problem. But we also need to keep in mind that there are many Democrats who have joined Republicans in condemning this theory as anti-democratic. 
You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly, in for Brian today, and we're talking to constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, uh, it seems as if uh, each of these cases in Colorado and in uh, Maryland now, they they have stayed the, the, the call to remove Trump from the ballot uh, pending uh, the, the, the next higher court. I mean, ultimately, this is going to be decided at the Supreme Court level, right? It should be. The only complication here is that the Colorado Supreme Court said that if an appeal was taken to the Supreme Court and the court does not rule before January 4th, because January 5th is when they certify the ballot, then Trump's name will remain on the ballot. So it is possible that if the Supreme Court runs out the clock, uh, it could moot the case. And indeed, Colorado itself may prefer to move the case. Most of us expect the Supreme Court uh, to overturn what Colorado did. What I think the Colorado officials are afraid of is that some liberal justices may join in that effort, just as they saw in Colorado, where three justices who are democratically appointed uh, not only uh, dissented, but there was this very uh, shocked dissent uh, coming from that side. So I think that Colorado itself could seek to moot the appeal to avoid a final ruling. I'm hoping that's not the case because of what happened in Maine. But the danger for some of us who want a final decision is that the Supreme Court often looks for these types of exit ramps. You know, they try not uh, to get ahead of their skis. They try not to rule on matters that they don't have to rule on. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Are you aware of any other states that are that are making such an effort to remove Trump from the ballot? And, uh, you know, I've heard some of the Republicans now saying, well, we're going to re- remove Biden from the ballot. Well, that's always been the danger. And that's why this theory is so dangerous, is that it invites a tit for tat type of politics. You know, we are the most successful and stable democratic system in history. And the proponents of this theory, people like Bellows, have introduced an instability in that system uh, after so many successful decades. It's really breathtaking that anyone would be this irresponsible. But this is an effort being pushed in over a dozen states by Democrats to try to find people like Bellows who will carry their water. And for the most part, responsible people, including many Democrats, have said, no, of course we're not going to do Uh, But they're still looking for that bellows in other states who uh, are willing to to yield to temptation. And, of course, your your expertise is the the legal background on this. There's also the the political take on this, and that is the, the more that Democrats seem to want to hobble Donald Trump's chances for reelection, the stronger Donald Trump seems to grow. Yeah, that's the irony. You had recently a number of newspapers and Democrats say that we can't count on the election. The courts have got to remove Donald Trump. Uh, the, the, the fact that you would say you know, that part out loud is itself surprising. But it's, you didn't have to say it. Voters recognize this for what it is. It's an anti-democratic effort to prevent millions of people from voting from the candidate who's now the leading candidate for the presidency. And that's going to produce this interesting dynamic. Trump was elected in 2016 on an anti-establishment wave. 
and it was ignored by the mainstream media. I, I wrote a column before that election saying Trump could win. And I, I wrote that because I had gone on a speech to Alaska. And every as soon as I was out of the major city, everyone I talked to seemed to be a Trump supporter. Now, it's a very Republican state, but this was during the Republican primary. I think we could see the same phenomenon. People don't like their rights being taken away from them. And the most jealously protected right of all is the ability to vote on your leaders. And so this is appealing to this extreme democratic element that 25 or 30 percent of the party that wants to win at all costs. But it is sacrificing the vast middle of our political system. And lastly for you, Jonathan Turley, as you know, Trump and others are still arguing that the last election was stolen. But when we see these kinds of shenanigans going on with the Democrats trying to keep Donald Trump off the ballots, how can one not look at it and say they're trying to steal the next election? Well, that's the irony here is the Democrats have done everything they can to fulfill Trump's narrative. They have weaponized the criminal justice system. Uh, And they are attempting to effectively rig this election by removing Trump from key states. If they succeeded, Trump couldn't get the electoral votes, even if he was at that point, as he is today, the most popular of the candidates for the presidency. So what they've done is they have bulldozed any high ground that they had uh, after the last election. I was critical of Trump's speech while he was giving it on that day, I disagreed uh, with his view that the election was stolen. But this is an overt effort to effectively rig the election by removing Trump's name from key states. He would be constitutionally impaired if this succeeded. He would not be able to reach the electoral votes that he would need, even if he was the most popular candidate in the country. Jonathan Turley, Fox News contributor, George Washington University, constitutional law professor. Jonathan, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to be able to tap into that mind of yours uh, on this particular issue. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays. You got it. Yeah, right back at you. You can uh, join the discussion this uh, at this day, if you'd like, this hour, 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. Find information about Brian and his upcoming uh, book tour or his continuing book tour. Just go to briankilmeadeshow.com. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Joe Kelly. We'll continue. Hey, 2023 has been a busy year, and the discussions won't stop in 2024 from the presidential election. World conflicts and what's happening in D.C. We'll cover it all with a little fun along the way on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, we are just a couple of weeks away from the Iowa caucus, the first in the nation voting, the Iowa caucuses uh, coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks from now. So this is no longer an academic discussion about politics, uh, an academic discussion about candidates. Uh, This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we separate the wheat from the chaff. I'm not sure what other cliches or metaphors I can use here. Um, But Governor Ron DeSantis, you know, as, as I live here in Florida. 
for those that don't know, but, hi, my name is Joe Kelly, and you'll find me online, social media, at Talk Radio Joe, and I am a, uh, a talk radio host here on WDBO in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and uh, I, Ron DeSantis was my guy early on. I, I wanted to vote for Ron DeSantis, but I have watched, as the rest of the nation has watched, as his campaign has absolutely imploded, and every day seems to be worse than the day before for Ron DeSantis. And I feel at this point he will be lucky if he can get elected to any office after this abysmal uh, primary campaign from Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll have time for your phone calls coming up in the next segment. So stay with us. 866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Joe Kelly. Stay with us. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your That's a good thing on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you answered my question. Oh, Nikki Haley has set off a firestorm of controversy with uh, her inability to say slavery uh, was at least part of the cause of the Civil War. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the word schadenfreude or schadenfreude. It's a German word that means someone who derives pleasure in someone else's misfortune. There is another – and the Germans have words for everything, right? So there's another German word I'll introduce you to, and that word is is fremd uh, – is, hang on. I'm going to make sure I say this right. Fremdschaman, Fremdschaman in German. That is – taking embarrassment for someone else's activity or behavior or a vicarious embarrassment. So I am feeling uh, from Shaden for Nikki Haley. I'm embarrassed for her for how she answered the question about what was the cause of the United States Civil War. And she went on to try to clarify uh, her answer. Here's cut 10. I think everybody thinks that the Civil War is about slavery. It was more, what's the bigger issue of it? You know, we went through 80 years of that, and we know that people were struggling with what's the role of government, what's the role of individual freedom. And the lesson we should take away from Civil Wars, yes, never allow slavery to happen again, but what does that mean for government and the role of individual freedom? We want every person to have the freedom of speech, religion, to live their life in any way without anyone doing anything to hamper that. That's what this was about. So she's she's trying to do damage control and trying to clarify what she meant by that. I will tell you that Nikki Haley is not having a good day. While she was there in North Conway, New Hampshire, she got a question from a nine-year-old 
And I, I guess one would imagine that if a little child, a nine-year-old child, steps in front of the microphone, it is going to be a pretty easy question. Uh, this was not an easy question for Nikki Haley. Take a listen. Chris Christie thinks that you are a flip-flopper on the Donald Trump issue. And honestly, I agree with him. And you're basically the new John Kerry. How can you change your opinion like that in just eight years and will you pardon Donald Trump? So first, tell me what your name is. Adam. And Adam, how old are you? I am nine old. Nine old. So fourth, fifth grade? No. Fourth grade. Well, I, for one, am very proud of you for coming. I told you I think he was the right president at the right time. I told you that I agree with a lot of his policies. But do I think he's the right president to go forward? No. I am who I am. I tell my truth just like you told your truth. Except I am no John Kerry. <laughs> but I will also answer his question. He asked if I would pardon Trump. And I've answered this before. I would pardon Trump. <clears throat> so there you go. That's, uh, that's Nikki Haley saying she would pardon Trump. And, and by the way, for her to say I have answered this before, she has given vague answers about this before. She has previously said that she would consider it, uh, but now she she full on says that she would pardon Donald Trump, which I, I got to tell you, I think is a is a great idea. Uh, but I don't think that Nikki Haley is ever going to have the opportunity to pardon Donald Trump, as I don't think that Nikki Haley is going to become our president. Uh, the question really is going to come down to whether or not Donald Trump can pardon Donald Trump. I think that'll be the real question that we have to, to look out for. Now, uh, our governor here in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, is warning voters that former President Trump is likely to use the power of the government against his political opponents if he is elected again. DeSantis painted a picture of a second Trump term centered on revenge and accused the former president of targeting his political rivals. Uh, DeSantis explained that Trump is fine with weaponization if it's against people he doesn't like. Uh, I I, I got to tell you, as as I alluded in the last segment, uh, Ron DeSantis was my guy. He was the guy that I that I wanted to support uh, in the primary election. I I was excited about him. And living here in Florida, I have appreciated our governor DeSantis and how he has led our state through a variety of issues, not the least of which uh, hurricanes. And when Governor DeSantis got the endorsement, then candidate DeSantis, then Congressman DeSantis got the endorsement of Donald Trump, there were plenty of us who thought, oh, this is going to be a a mini Trump. This is going to be a guy who is going to be as as bombastic, as as, um, um, at times outrageous as Donald Trump is. And what really surprised me about Ron DeSantis is he put his head down and just got the job done. And uh, frankly, it delighted me to see that that he was not a media hound. He wasn't out there in front of the microphones every single day. And I, I really liked that about Ron DeSantis. He simply rolled up his sleeve and got the job done. Well, now, after watching him campaign for the past year, I understand why he wasn't out on on the trail every day, why he wasn't in front of the TV cameras, in front of the microphones, why he is is reluctant to do interviews, because he's just not good at it. He is terrible at retail politics. He is terrible at smiling. I've never seen anybody 
who is so terrible at smiling as Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis never looks comfortable in his own skin. And, you know, we... As American voters, yes, of course, we like to boil down uh, different policy issues, but at the surface, we have to like someone first. And Ron DeSantis has not proven himself to be a likable candidate. I, I mean, a guy who can't smile, a, ga- a guy who is not comfortable in his own skin doesn't make other people feel comfortable around him. And as petty as this issue is, the lifts in his cowboy boots is a prime example of that. I, I would love nothing more than to have never had to discuss that Ron DeSantis is accused of wearing lifts in his cowboy boots. And honestly, it's not hard to figure out that the guy's wearing lifts in his cowboy boots, which means that Ron DeSantis is not comfortable with his own height, which means that Ron DeSantis is not comfortable in his own skin. And if he is not, if Ron DeSantis is not comfortable embracing all that is Ron DeSantis, how are we supposed to get behind him? How are we supposed to support him? I mean, that guy, if if he struggles so greatly to smile, stop trying. We don't need a president that smiles. Stop trying to smile. That's it's so terrible. I'm reminded of like children in their fourth grade pictures and they know that their mom is like, you better smile, smile. And you get this phony looking smile. And and that's Ron DeSantis just struggling to smile. And I don't I think Ron DeSantis is tone deaf when it comes to Donald Trump, much like the Democrat Party is tone deaf when it comes to Donald Trump. I don't think the Democrat Party understands that the more they assail, the more they go after, the more they attack Donald Trump, the more they empower him. And and it all stems from and, and I take you back to the beginning of Trump's campaign when he said this. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. OK, it's like incredible. Donald Trump knew who he was. Donald Trump knew who his supporters were. I mean, he absolutely had his finger on the pulse of the electorate when he had that to say. And now as as Democrats throw everything that they have and the kitchen sink at Donald Trump to try to keep him off of ballots, all they're doing is empowering him. All they're doing is making it more likely that Donald Trump is going to get reelected as president. And for Governor Ron DeSantis to say that. Donald Trump is going to use the power of government against his political opponents if elected again. That's what Trump supporters want. That is not that that is not an argument to sway people to not vote for Donald Trump. You are giving an argument, Ron DeSantis, for people to vote for Donald Trump because Donald Trump supporters, Donald Trump fanatics want their pound of flesh back. They don't like what has happened to Donald Trump. They don't like what the left has done to Donald Trump. Many of Donald Trump's, if not most, if not all of Donald Trump's supporters, believe that the election was stolen. And they want their pound of flesh from the Democrats. So for Governor DeSantis to say, as is, as if it's a bad thing that Donald Trump is likely to use the power of government against his political opponents if he's elected again, that is the essence of draining the swamp. 
you're arguing in favor of draining the swamp, which is what Donald Trump said he was going to do. I don't know to what extent he actually succeeded in that in his uh, in his first term and in, in his only term at the moment. Uh, but you can join the discussion now. 866-408-7669. We've got time for some phone calls here. 866-408-7669. My name is Joe Kelly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I want to get your take on whether or not you think that Ron DeSantis is uh, is making a good argument for for Donald for, for voting for or, or is this voting against Donald Trump? Uh, he says Trump is fine with weaponization as long as it's against the people that he doesn't like. By the way, for his part, uh, Ron DeSantis uh, argues, and, and again, I find it interesting that Governor DeSantis argues that removing Donald Trump from the ballots opens up Pandora's box. Cut six. Take a listen. It opens up Pandora's box. Can you have a Republican secretary of state? Uh, disqualify Biden from the ballot because he's let in eight million people illegally. I think that we win uh, when we hold Biden accountable and talk about the issues that matter to the American people. So I think the Democrats, they want the election to be about uh, all these other issues. They do not want to face accountability for their failed policies. Yeah, Governor DeSantis. And again, so he seems to understand that, but he doesn't seem to understand that electing Donald Trump if Donald Trump is going to go after his political opponents, I, I think Trump supporters want that. I think those who want to see the swamp drained see Trump's political opponents as the proverbial swamp. That's the swamp that they want drained. 866-408-7669. Let's go to Virginia where Rob is up first here on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hey, Rob, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. Um one thing about it, uh, I really don't care to be called a fanatic because I think it feeds into the Democratic narrative. And I'm not trying to be offensive, but I support Donald Trump. And the simple reason is he is the only presidential candidate I know in my lifetime that has had the kind of stuff done to him. And he refuses to quit. Uh, they've threatened his business. They say they're going to take his business from him. They've threatened his children. They've threatened to put him in jail. It's been one thing after another, and a lot of it has been lies and proven to be lies. Uh, they they have smeared him. They He'll never be the same again. He'll never be able to walk the streets again without someone uh, wanting to go after him. But he doesn't quit. We don't have that in the Republican Party. Our party, for the most part, with a few exceptions, are quitters. They're losers. They they don't fight. I think Donald Trump put them out of their comfort zone when he won. At first, they didn't think he could win. All right, yeah, they laughed absolutely. at it. Yep. They, they, it took them out of their comfort zone, and they're perfectly happy with not winning. And they go back to their constituents, and they they always say the same thing. Well, we tried, but we just couldn't get the mean old Democrats to see things our way. It's the same thing. Um, that's why you have everything's going on now where women are in the, the, the men are in the women's sports and we were way over budget. Uh, all the craziness you see, because we don't have people who are willing to stand up. They, they always cow. Look at Nick, Nikki Haley. When that, when the kid, they got a nine year old kid calling her out now. Yeah. She couldn't even handle that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. Rob, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your phone call. Thanks for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll take more of your phone calls coming up next. 866-408-7669. I'm Joe Kelly. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Republican debates to Joe Biden's missteps to the Hamas-Israel conflict, Ukraine funding and the war that may not end in 2023, what a year it's been. Now, the discussion will not end in 2024, so keep it here. The very latest on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, so the latest is hashtag Trump smells. So now the left is saying that Donald Trump smells bad. And, and that's really what they've got to stoop to to try to besmirch Donald Trump. They've run out of everything else. They've tried everything else. And now it's that Donald Trump smells bad. And the Lincoln Project, which is an anti-Trump political action committee, has released an ad that that alleges that the former president smells bad. And it, it's it is laughable the lengths to which the left is stooping to try to besmirch Donald Trump and and knowing that they can't beat him at the ballot box. They're trying to beat him by any means necessary, if that means keeping him off the ballot or anything else like that. You can join us here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. My name is Joe Kelly. It's 866-408-7669. Barry is joining us in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry, you're on The Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hey, Joe. Um, uh... To be honest, uh, I almost turned off this morning because usually I'm not a fan of yours, but uh, I can't believe how spot on you were last segment on both uh, Trump supporters and on DeSantis. Number one, yes, most Trump supporters do want retribution. Number two, Ron DeSantis is terrible at retail politics, um, and it amazes me how many of his supporters or conservatives won't admit it. Um, lastly, I would like to add, though, I think uh, DeSantis also has disappointed me with his political acumen and the fact that he allowed himself to be used by a lot of uh, rhinos and bushies back in a year ago to jump in the race. Everybody knew that he, he was in the same lane as Trump, and he was not going he, he to get 90% of those people in that lane. And I think he was counting on Donald Trump getting convicted and, and being in jail or somehow, you know, otherwise uh, tarnishing his brand. I think he was counting on that to happen, but uh, it, it just hasn't. And even if that does happen, I don't know that that's going to hurt the Trump brand. Barry, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll, we'll get some more calls coming up in the in the next uh, half hour. Y'all can stick around for that. Uh, my name is Joe Kelly. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Also, a, a, I saw this headline from rawstory.com that says, A shocking number of Americans believe God personally anointed Trump to rule the country. Uh, we'll take on that and and more. My name is Joe Kelly. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Find out about his book tour. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, good news. Brian Kilmeade is going to be back on Tuesday. He is enjoying his uh, week between Christmas and New Year's off. I hope you guys have also had the, the week off and been able to enjoy yourself. My name is Joe Kelly. You'll find me online on social media at Talk Radio Joe on X, formerly Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, on pretty much every social media anywhere. It's at Talk Radio Joe. You can email me, Joe, at WDBO.com. I am the host of The Joe Kelly Show here on WDBO in Orlando, Florida, where today it is 54 degrees and bright sunshine. Uh, but, man, 54 in Orlando is ridiculously cold, and we are not used to that. I know for our northern listeners, you laugh at, at our inability to deal with this kind of cold, even though we're only shoveling sunshine outside because uh, we don't have any snow on the ground, nor will we really ever have any snow on the ground. But it is really frigid here, 54 degrees. We slept with the windows open last night. We are able to do so on the cool nights, which is like, you know, three, four nights out of the year or so. Um, I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. You can join the discussion at 866-408-7669. And before we get back to the phones here, I want to address just kind of an offhanded comment that a caller in the last segment made, uh, Barry, who was calling from Los Angeles. And Barry started the conversation by saying something along the lines of, "I, I don't usually listen to you, Joe, when I'm filling in for Brian, because I don't agree with with you all the time. Uh, but he said, I agree with what you said today. And I, I, maybe I'm I'm feeling charitable. Maybe I'm you know feeling the festivity of the season uh, coming off of Christmas and heading into the new year. And I, I'm thinking of new beginnings. And, and I I wonder if you ever get tired of being in an echo chamber. To, to think that you wouldn't listen because you may hear something that you don't agree with. Do you, do you really live in a silo where you reject listening, thinking about ideas that are outside of your own? I, I, don't, I don't live in that silo. I, I, I don't live in a silo. Uh, as I'm always intrigued by other people's ideas, even if I don't agree with them, I'm I am curious to hear what other people have to think on a variety of issues. And thus, I subject myself to different shows and programs uh, where people have ideas that are outside of mine. And I try to understand where they're coming from. And I, I try to have empathy for people. And but, but I think part of that also stems from. I don't view my political opponents as the enemy. I don't view Democrats as the enemy. I'm a registered Republican. No secret there. It's, it's a public record. But I, I don't look at the Democrats and, and hate them. They are not an enemy to be defeated. They're a political opponent to be defeated. But, but I don't see them as my mortal enemy. And I'm not afraid of being exposed to other people's ideas. That's why I, I ask you, if, if, you're, if you're the kind of person that feels the need to live in an echo chamber, and, and I don't know if you would recognize it, if you live in an echo chamber, if you live in a silo, do you even recognize that you're doing that? That you are rejecting ideas that that aren't a repeat of your own ideas. 
there's so much more to learn in our society. There's so much more to expose yourself to in our society than just people echoing back the same ideas and ideals that you believe. 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. I'll do it slower. 866-408-7669. So this uh, headline says, A shocking number of Americans believe God personally anointed Trump to rule the country. I, I take issue with a few things there, not the least of which is to rule the country. Uh, the president is not a rule a ruler. The president is a leader. The president is a governor. They govern the country. They don't rule the United States. I remember that when Barack Obama was elected, somebody on his administration said, we'll be ready to rule on day one. And Republicans were aghast that he would use the word rule. We're ready to rule on day one. No, you're not ready to rule. You're ready to govern on day one. You're ready to lead on day one. And we cannot know what God thinks. We can we can try our best to divine what is godly behavior. But the Bible is pretty clear that we are to pray for our political leaders. We are supposed to pray for the success of our political leaders. And keep in mind that the Bible was written at a time in which, and, and Jesus Christ was born and crucified under Roman rule. So if you think the United States has a bad system of government or you think our current political leaders are bad, we don't crucify people on the town square. And yet the Bible still says that we are to pray for our elected officials. We're to pray for their success. We are to, to love our neighbors and love our enemies. And I, I guess that's where I get my optimism. That's where I get my marching orders, if you will, uh, is I, I believe in, well, I believe in the Bible. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. And I don't put all of my faith into another human being. Uh, and that way, when the human being disappoints, which all human beings are sinners, all human beings will disappoint. Even those that you hold in the highest esteem, they can and will disappoint at one point or another. And I, it's easier, frankly, if I look at myself as a citizen of the kingdom of God, uh, first and foremost, before a citizen of the United States of America, I think it's a little bit easier for me to be objective in looking at politics because I, I don't live and breathe it. I, I live and breathe my faith. I am a member of the uh, a citizen of the United States, of course, but it is not how I first and foremost identify myself. 866-408-7669. You can join me now and we'll go to Fort Lauderdale, staying here in Florida. Joellen is up here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Joellen. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Excellent. Well, I'm calling regarding the DeSantis um, part of your show, but uh, I will make a comment. I've never been disappointed in anything Trump has done. And to pray for uh, the um, 
the the Democrats in power now, uh, that would be praying for their success to destroy our country even more. But, but um, anyway, I mean, I'm a Christian. Anyways, um, the DeSantis thing, I'm so disappointed in, in him yeah. uh, as a presidential candidate. He's been a good governor. He needs yep. to work on property insurance um, a little bit more. No doubt, yes. But, but um, you know, the reason I think he's been so successful is because he's had the um, backing of Republicans. He doesn't have a lot of... Um, uh, Democrats in 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 office that are going to um, push back on him. So sure, you're, you're saying the state the, you're saying the state legislature has has been there to support him in Florida. Yes, yeah. he's had all the support there. Yep. You know, I, I don't think that he would be able to withstand uh, what the if he got into office the what is coming down the pike from the Democrats. I think Trump is the only person that could um, handle them. I said. Yeah, sir. Trump, Trump Trump scares the Democrats, and I don't think Ron DeSantis scares Democrats. Yeah, Trump scares Democrats because he's a fighter and he fights back. Yeah. He's what we've been waiting for for how long? Somebody to stand up to these people, and nobody is standing up to them. Joellen, thank, well, anyway. thank you so much for your call. I appreciate that. Let's go to Eddie. Uh, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show with Joe Kelly. Hi, Eddie. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Joe. How are you doing? Good. Uh, yeah, I I don't know exactly which question I'm answering here, but multiple opinions. Um, I I supported Donald Trump last time, and uh, in 2016, and I'll probably support him again if he is able to be on the ballot. Um, I'll just have to wait and see if he's not on the ballot what I'll do. But as far as Nikki Haley goes, uh, watching her. Uh, on the media the other day, the first time I saw it about the slavery question, and uh, I call it slavery question, or what started the Civil War. Yeah. She did get it right. It was about representation, but um, Abraham Lincoln uh, wanted to emancipate the slaves uh, early on, but he couldn't do it because people in his own party didn't want it done. People that supported him didn't want it done. White people didn't want it done. Uh, but in 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, with all the hell that was going on, he issued it and uh, got it through. And uh, I think today we're all glad that uh, there is no more slavery, uh, so to speak, like it was back then. Um, but the other part of that, what started the Civil War, if you got just a second, uh, in Beaufort, South Carolina, that was a natural seaport, and that's where all the cotton went out of. And Lincoln said, "I've got to, got to, got to start stop these people. That means the Southerners from secession. They were talking about secession, and uh, so he said, well, 'Well, I'm going to, I'm going to tax cotton, fine cotton, not not regular old grade cotton, but the fine cotton that comes out of there. The, the planters were getting more money for.'" And uh, he wanted to tax that at a higher rate. And the planters went to the governor and uh, told him, he says, we're not we're not going to pay it. Eddie, I'm 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 sure that there's a there's a there's a huge history here that you could share with us. uh, But I I don't think it it changes that 
the Civil War was about s- slavery, uh, and it was a simple – it was a layup question that, that Nikki Haley should have been able to answer, and she she absolutely blew it in, in trying to answer it, and she bumbled and fumbled it and has been trying to make it up um, ever since. Let's go to Douglas in Pennsylvania. Hey, Douglas, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Joe. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Uh, Joe, I've lived all over the globe during my life and all over Central America, and I'm just I'm a little perplexed that no one is asking about the backstory of how tens of thousands of immigrants are making it from Guatemala, Honduras, and the lower um, Central America and South America all the way through Mexico to our borders. You can't; you're, they're not going to walk a thousand miles. Someone's feeding them, someone's clothing them, someone's transporting them. You know, why is no one asking about the backstory on this and how they're actually getting here and who's supporting them along this journey? Well, different groups are getting here different ways, but, but you know, paying coyotes and paying others to help transport them uh, is one of the ways. I mean, do you have a do you have a thought or a theory as to how this is? Well, it's got you know, you're talking about numbers, you know, knowing logistics, you're talking about numbers in the tens of thousands. Individual coyotes can transport, you know, 10, 15, maybe 25 people. Sure. You're talking 5,000, 6,000 people at a time. Right. That requires serious transportation, buses, networks, food, clothing, shelter. You know, yeah, there's said to be a, a caravan of 8,000 that are on their way here right now. Right, correct. So, if you know, even in the military, if you're transporting that many people, think of what the logistics involved are. So I, I'm just curious as to why no one is, is – there hasn't been a reporter yet basically follow these folks and find out what the actual logistics behind this are and whether it's a Soros uh, group or whoever's supporting them. Well, I think, as, as you all know, there are very few of the, the network media that have an interest in the story. Uh, the network media are largely following the, the Biden talking points that there's not a problem at the border. And frankly, it's only been Fox News and and Bill Malugin, who's been down at the border pretty much every day for for the past three years. Uh, And and so we've got, you know, limited reporting from the border, limited interest in the border outside of Fox News. And and Douglas, it's it's regrettable that nobody else seems to care about it. And to that to that end, you're exactly right. Nobody else seems to care uh, because n- nobody else is uh, is covering it, and for for whatever reason, uh, I haven't the slightest idea. I don't know if it's if it's about uh, you know getting uh, illegal immigrants into the country so that they can take jobs that quote Americans don't want to take, uh, or if it's so that the Democrats can get more Democrat Party voters, uh, or you know whatever the case may be. Uh, your your educated guess is as good as mine. 866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. we got more of your calls coming up in just a minute. Stay with us here. We'll continue. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Find out more details about Brian's book tour, where he's going to be. Go to briankilmeadeshow.com. Hey, 2023 has been a busy year, and the discussions won't stop in 2024 from the presidential election, world conflicts, and what's happening in D.C. We'll cover it all with a little fun along the way on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't know if you guys know what a word cloud is, but Donald Trump shared a word cloud on his Truth Social on Tuesday. A word cloud is when you were to, say, take a speech or a book 
and you were to create a a visual representation of words that are most used in that book or that speech and make a literal cloud shape out of it. And uh, some words are very big, some words are very small based upon how often they're used. So Donald Trump shared this word cloud with no explanation. And I, I looked at it and I and I turned to my wife and I said, look at this word cloud that Donald Trump just shared. And the biggest words in the word cloud were revenge power, economy, and dictatorship. And I, 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 I said, I, I wonder what this is about. Where, where did these words come from? Is he using these words to, to describe himself or these words that he is using in a speech? Uh, but evidently, uh, I, I now know that the word cloud comes from a JL Partners survey for the Daily Mail that asked a thousand likely voters to use one word to describe both Trump and President Biden and what they want out of a second term. So, again, Trump's words that stood out the most revenge, power, economy and dictatorship. Biden's word cloud prominently featured the words nothing, economy, democracy and peace. So those are the word clouds that represent the the two candidates. Let's go to Jeffrey joining us at 866-408-7669. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Jeffrey. Hey, hello there. Good to talk to you, Joe. I'll jump right into it here. Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, Donald Trump saved this country uh, by uh, his appointments on the Supreme Court. I could name other things, but it was uh, we were glad to have him there. He he. He did a tremendous effort to help this country. He cannot win. He cannot win the next election. And we have to have a Republican president. Well, I'm sorry. You're saying that Donald Trump cannot win the next election? He, he, he cannot win it. He's just a few percentage points ahead of others. And uh, who could just be three or four points ahead of Biden? And Jeffrey, I, I got to let you go there, but I'm intrigued by what you have to say. Thank you so much for your call. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Really is the fastest three hours in radio, no doubt about it. I'm Joe Kelly at Talk Radio Joe, in for Brian Kilmeade. BK is going to be back here on Tuesday. In the meantime, you can check out his uh, upcoming tour as he is out uh, promoting his brand new best selling book, uh, Teddy and Booker T. Just go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com for details there. Kelly O'Grady is joining us now, Fox Business correspondent. Hey, Kelly, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Joe. I'm so glad you're joining me. And I wanted to talk about uh, some financial matters. And I know we got a lot of callers. And, and if you're on hold right now, uh, don't worry. We'll get to you here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but first, I wanted to, to discuss some financial issues with you, namely uh, inflation and the economy moving forward. I just read this Rasmussen uh, report survey that four in 10 Americans say their financial situations have worsened in the past six months. And there really seems to be a disconnect between what some of the financial statistics are telling us, some of the, the bellwether numbers versus what we're feeling on Main Street. 
Well, that's right, Joe. You know, I, I think when you talk to the average American, everyone's going to the grocery store, including myself, and going, whoa, holy cow, this is not what I was spending and budgeting uh, just a couple of years ago, yet I'm still making somewhat, uh, you know, the same amount. And so, I mean, that that's kind of the, the real crux of it, that wages haven't increased at the same rate that prices have. Now, we are getting economic indicators and messaging from the administration that, hey, inflation is coming down. And I think the a really important thing, though, to underscore, and, and I wish the messaging from the Biden administration would be better on this, is that that doesn't mean prices are coming down. That means that the rate of that prices are increasing is is less. But if you go to Starbucks, your your cup of coffee is not actually coming down. You know, you go to the grocery store, your bill is not coming down. And so that's going to be something... <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm a little bit under the weather. I'm, I'm the, everything, uh, the, the sickness that's going around, I oh, know as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're, you're still experiencing that. And it's, it's, I think when people go to the polls, we are potentially going to see some of that frustration and that fear come into play because I was just reading this, uh, this study that 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and a lot of them have really high credit scores, over 700, and it shows that it's not just hitting the folks that are, you know, in the lower income brackets. Everyone's really feeling this crunch, Joe. You know, I, in fact, uh, just uh, two days ago, we, my wife and I took her mom and grandma out to dinner, and we went to, uh, by no stretch of the imagination, gourmet Italian Olive Garden, and... <laughs> And, <laughs> and seriously, every entree started at twenty dollars, and I, 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 we were—I was just gobsmacked at how expensive each of the entrees were, and and that the prices haven't come down at all. And I think that's a great example because this is the time of the year where people want to do those things like go to a restaurant, buy a gift for someone to celebrate. You know, we've we've been trying to live within our means all year, though you wouldn't know it by the amount of credit card debt because people are having even to put basic items like groceries and such and, and float with that credit card debt. But you go to these places and there's this element of, well, you know, it's the holidays and I really want to celebrate with my friends. And I think that's where that disconnect really comes out so clearly. Uh, my husband and I went out for dinner last night and we were shocked. We got a couple of, of items like a salad for an entree and we were going, wow, this is so pricey. And yet that's what people are feeling all the time. And, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks who are also looking at what's happening in the market. You know, you're seeing, oh, wow, record highs for the Dow, record highs potentially today for the S&P 500. And it's not actually reflecting what the American consumer is feeling. And I do think we're going to see that reflected in the markets as well at some point in the next year, because that's also a very confusing disconnect a lot for people. So I always say what you're seeing in the stock market is actually not reflective of the American consumer, even right. though that, that, that feels like a, a complete disconnect there. And speaking about the stock market then, I know more and more Americans are tapping into their 401ks uh, to, to try to make ends meet. And that is, I mean, that is the, the biggest financial don't. Uh, but, but a lot of people are finding themselves having little choice. 
Well, right. And, and I think it's, it's such a, a conundrum because you look at your credit cards and you look at the interest rates. I was just going to pay my credit card and I was checking what the interest rate was and it was 29.99%. And so people are going, okay, well, I have to make this this short-term trade-off and that can be so damaging if you are, you know, in your 40s, in your 50s and you're supposed to be creating that long-term wealth. That's what we're hearing all the time and yet some people are having to make those trade-offs uh, and and not even for the splurges, right? Just to make ends meet. The other thing that I want to bring up and and this is more for my millennial folks if you're listening, but if you're in that bracket that's looking to buy your first home, you're all also feeling very struck uh, or stuck rather I was looking at a, a recent housing affordability survey and it's 15.5% of housing uh, right now is considered affordable. You have Ugh. higher mortgage rates uh, than they're starting to come down, but certainly higher than what we saw over the last couple of years. So for, I know for our, our older listeners, my parents always tell me, well, we paid, you know, 16%, oh, yeah. 17%. What are you saying? But the prices are, are just still unachievable. And so you have folks, like you said, Joe, dipping into their 401k, but then you have those younger folks as well who feel completely stuck, not able to build that wealth and really concerned about their future. And rents have gone through the roof and and people are struggling to, to be able to pay, forget about a mortgage, uh, but just being able to afford a rent. Yeah, you know, and that is also, I think I'm someone myself that has not bought that first home and we're trying to save up and we're feeling like we're throwing money out the window when it comes to rent. And that is always that conundrum that people have, but you're sort of completely just paralyzed. You know, the, the thing, though, that I will say is, Something that I I am seeing that's starting to tick up, which does give me a little bit of hope, is the personal savings rate. We did hit record decades lows a couple of months ago, but I'm seeing – Okay, we've we've hit over 4.1%. That's good. I'm hoping that's going to continue trending up. And as much as it hurts, I think that's where we all need to every little penny, uh, you know, put that because it does continue to grow and grow. I wouldn't necessarily say put it in the stock market though right now. Right. <laughs> it's like playing craps. <laughs> Kelly O'Grady, she is a Fox Business correspondent. Kelly, uh, Irish recognizes Irish. And from Joe Kelly to Kelly O'Grady, <laughs> Uh, I, I appreciate you uh, joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show today, speaking about Irish. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Joe. I appreciate uh, it. hope you feel better. I know you will. All right. Uh, back to your phone calls at 866-408-7669. My name is Joe Kelly. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's go to Brooklyn. And Alex is on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Alex. Hey, good morning, Joe. Thanks for taking the call. And just to, I want to talk about Trump, but follow up on this conversation with how terrible the prices are and how high they are and how inflation is hurting most Americans. But yet Joe Biden is still running around, you know, and he's very proud of his economy. And he's even calling it Bidenomics, which is pretty arrogant, even if it were a good economy. Because, you know, I remember when Trump pushed for the vaccine to be developed in such a fast way and he put it into place. And some people were talking about Trump calling it the Trump vaccine. And I heard some Democrats say that that would be horrible and, you know, arrogant of Trump to call it the Trump vaccine. But yet here, Joe Biden screwed up the economy and is running around and, you know, saying, look, Bidenomics, and he's not a, he's telling us, don't fire me because of Bidenomics, you know, renew my contract. It's like, they seem really tone deaf, don't they? 
A hundred percent. It's like if you have a job as a manager in a business and everything is tanking since you came in and then your boss calls you into the office after your contract is almost up and you go, hey, don't don't fire me because I did a great job. He's for sure going to fire you. What what your boss wants you to hear is how you're going to undo the things that you did wrong. And that's the only chance you get to keep that job. Yeah. But you know, if you recognize that you did something wrong, at least that's better. And and even then, you someone yeah, like yeah. what Joe Biden did, he doesn't deserve another chance. Because yeah, if Joe Biden right, get he, someone that knows what they're doing, if he'd come forward and said, "Look, we know that you guys are still feeling this, and and you know we understand that you're having a difficult time making ends meet." If he was at least just being candid with people, I I think we'd feel better about him. Uh, but he continues to to maintain, as you say, hey, that the, the economy is is great. Yep. And uh, I just, yep. Thanks, Alex, so much. I appreciate that. Let's go to upstate New York where Jane is joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Jane. How are you? Fine. How are you, Mr. Kelly? You're Good. Doing great job. Okay. Thank you. Let, let's, uh, okay. First of all, well, first of all, thank you for, for quoting God. And that's what we all have to keep in mind, you know. Uh, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Yep. And um, I think Nikki Haley is a prima donna. I think she is very dishonest. If you notice, I'm a retired abuse counselor. When someone is not going to tell the truth, they use deflection, and that's what she does. She's yeah. all over the place, and I do not want to hear about her five-inch heels ever, ever again. Yeah. And um, Well, I think that's a dig at Ron DeSantis and his heels, so. Yeah. And you know, you know what Trump, to me, what his strongest point is to me, that he is not a politician. He is a brilliant businessman, and I think he is the one person who can get us out of this mess. And I think that's what scares the Democrats to death, because he is intelligent, and they can't take him down. And so I'm curious, though, do you do you think he can get us out of this mess, as you say, in in one term? Because he, he would only be able to serve one term. I think he can make a start, and I think he is going to go forward. And I think who he chooses as a vice president to help him and when his term is over, that person will carry that force. And then let me let me ask you that. What who who would that person be? To me, uh, well, I loved I loved Tim. Um, and I, I like Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think who else, if, if he had someone like DeSantis as a vice president, but I, I don't know if DeSantis could handle that, but I think, yeah, Ramaswamy, I think he would be good if he could keep his <laughs> little mouth under control. Well, he's, he's kind of a Trump junior, isn't he? Yes, in a way. Yeah, he's a brilliant young man, and I think he could be vetted to become a really good president when President Trump cannot go forth. And and I think it would be a smart choice on Trump's part. I pray to God in heaven above he does not pick Haley. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think he will and I don't think she would accept it if, if he did. So 
Uh, Jane, thank you so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for your phone call. You can join us at 866-408-7669. My name is Joe Kelly. You'll find me online at Talk Radio Joe. And uh, you can find out more details about Brian's book tour and where he's going to be in a city near you. And if he's going to be anywhere near you, I highly, highly recommend uh, that you go and get a chance to meet him. I know that he would love a chance to meet you. So check it out. It's BrianKilmeadeShow.com. We'll continue with your calls next. From the Republican debates to Joe Biden's missteps to the Hamas-Israel conflict, Ukraine funding and the war that may not end in 2023, what a year it's been. Now, the discussion will not end in 2024, so keep it here. The very latest on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You can join us now at 866-408-7669. My name is Joe Kelly. You'll find me online at Talk Radio Joe. Uh, I am the host of the Joe Kelly Show weekday afternoons from 5 till 7 p.m. here on WDBO in Orlando. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to fill in for Brian. Uh, he'll be back with you on Tuesday next week. All right, let's get back to the phones in Pennsylvania. John is on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, John. Yeah, how are you doing, Joe? Good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Yeah, I, uh, Americans, uh, we like fair play. I believe that Trump is going to get people to vote for him that wouldn't normally vote for him, just the way the, the opposition has been treating him. I think fair play is a big thing in America with uh, sports and everything else. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, voting for Trump. All right, John, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your call. Let's go to Georgia, where Darren is joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Darren. Hey, how's it going? Good. You know, I, I hear I, I I was a I was a Trump uh, voter. Now I won't say I was a supporter, but you know, going back in his administration, he he created all the turmoil that he that he had. You know, first of all, he was the one that started a squabble with Paul Ryan. They lost the house over that squabble, and then from there it was. Uh, Towards the end of his administration, his first term, he couldn't keep his administration together. They were leaving on their own. They weren't. He wasn't being fired. He, they weren't firing, or he wasn't right. firing them. So, so you're saying leaving. you're saying if, I, if I'm understanding you right, he is his own worst enemy at times. He is his own worst enemy, and yeah. the other part of it is he gets voted in four years this time. How is the Republicans going to take the, the House or the Senate on top of Trump? They have to be able to – for him to govern anything, they have to be able to have a clean sweep of everything. They have to get the presidency, they have to get the Senate, and they have to get the House. They are, they're not even going to get the Senate the way it's running right now. So who are you going to vote for, Darren? Uh, I don't. You know, I'm, I'm one of those wayward voters. I don't know. I don't really want to vote for anybody. Yeah. I, I are you going to stay home? I, I don't – I don't see myself staying home. I've done that for a few years and, and uh, didn't like the results. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, it, it's one of those – I wish there was a strong third-party push right now. Well, I will say that, that, that RFK just got on the ballot in uh, – I think it was Utah. Uh, so he is on a ballot now. And so maybe would RFK to, uh, scratch that itch for you? No, he's a, he's a Biden light. I mean he's he's still – He's still got the baggage of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's still going to count a cowtail to them. He's still going to do what needs to be done and what they think he wants 
he uh, what he thinks they want him to do. I, I don't like RFK you know, him. I, I, I he's an establishment of all stab- establishment because he's a Kennedy. Sure. Now, what about DeSantis or Haley? Do do either of them work for you? Uh, DeSantis had my hopes. I, <laughs> I had my hopes. He had my DeSantis. hopes. He had my hopes too, but they've been dashed. Uh, Nikki Haley, she needs to if she wants to if she wants my attention, she needs to stop going by Nikki Haley and put herself out there for who she is. That's not even her real name, and she she talks about how she wants to be authentic. Well, be be yourself. Yeah. Be your authentic self. Right. Stop hiding the fact that you're you're in your your Indian uh, background. Well, I don't know. I, I I I would I guess I would disagree with you there in that if she's gone by Nikki her whole life, which I believe she has, even in school she went by Nikki, uh, and I I don't I don't see a problem with that. Uh, but but I understand where you're coming from in that you got to be comfortable in your own skin. It's kind of what I said about Ron DeSantis, is he doesn't seem to be comfortable in his own skin. Darren, thank you so much. Let's go to Jim in uh, New York. Hey, Jim, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I got about 30 seconds for you, sir. Hey, Joe, I just want to say quickly, I heard your conversation with a woman not long, uh, a few callers back before the break, and um, they were talking about who would be a good vice president. Nobody talks about uh, Mike Pompeo, but I thought he'd be he'd be excellent to fill in when Trump's done. And I'm praying Trump gets in. I don't care what anybody else says. You know, Pompeo, Pompeo's done a good job of laying low – uh, in the interim here, Jim, thank you for your phone call and thank you for being succinct in your comments. You worked out perfectly. Uh, but Pompeo has done a good job of laying low and, and still leaving himself to be a viable candidate moving forward. Uh, great news, everybody. And that is that Brian Kilmeade is back on the next business day. That is going to be Tuesday of next week. You'll be able to tune in to your favorite talk radio host and mine, Brian Kilmeade, coming up next week. I'm Joe Kelly. Have a great and safe New Year's Eve. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.